This is the Copper Crab Podcast. Summer is right around. Yeah, man. This is a Project Pad service announcement. Hood service announcement. Check this out, man. Summer is right around the corner. Can't catch no corona. What do you think about that, Zach? I, I like it. It's new, right? This is a debut, maybe? I don't uh, know. No, we kind of tried to do it on the episode with Steve Clifford, but it failed. Yeah, okay, we gotcha. cu- we cut the clip too short, and he didn't understand what was going on. So, and we think we're uh, comedy geniuses for putting that on our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> the Project Pat Hood service announcement. But that's just that's celebrating. Well, not celebrating. That's just the Corona edition. We're gonna call that. Zach, you got something going on over there? I, <laughs> I do. <laughs> you got a fly in the camera or something? No, I'm not going to fly oh, in the camera. The there's just a cat. There's just a cat in view now. An actual yeah. cat. There we go. There's a lot of cat things happening right now. I know. Is that a wall behind you or a, a tapestry? What is going? It's on? definitely a wall. It's a, it's a wall, wall with. It's, it's a sheet. Oh, okay. So it's like a sheet that's on the wall. It's very uh, fitting of you. Or, or, and hear me out. I've got a camera on the ceiling, and I'm lying down on this. I don't think so. I don't. You'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let me make sure this is all working good. I probably should have done this before we started, but... Well, I had a feeling that if I sat down on the bed, the cat would eventually just make his way over just to me, which is exactly what happened. Okay, so you guys have like a little cat sanctuary uh, temple <laughs> area. <laughs> it's all him. I mean, there's really no other cat here except this. All the other ones are yeah. Uh, fictitious. Uh, yeah, I've seen pictures of that cat. I have too. I saw one that you posted recently where you were laying together. It was very cute. Like how I wake up every day? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he cuddles with you. He's one of those cats. Yes, though. I mean, let's be clear. When I'm waking up with him, it's because he's uh, very hungry and Uh, would like me to get up like hours earlier than I plan on getting up. Yeah. I I would wake up a solid four hours later every day if not for him. Yeah. Well, then he's he's doing you a favor. He's getting you up early. I agree. I hated it at first, and now I love it. There you go. What have you been doing during quarantine? Have you uh, been tracking stuff still from home or like going into the studio or? I've been definitely working a lot from home. I did. I mean, I came into this. So I was working with a band called Black Map, literally like day of everything getting shut down. Mm-hmm. We have guitar set up. They are, as far as I know, still set up at Shark Bite like 45 days later because the whole studio shut down. It's been fucking and 45 days. I know. I can't believe that. That's just off the top of my head, but it was early yeah, March. Uh, probably, yeah. So yeah, maybe more. You're totally right. right. Yeah, this, it right. seems like we're in some kind of like time warp right now because every day is becoming monotonous and starting to be, they, right. they run together. Well, I, but what I was about to say is like, it, I was in the middle of about to be like, like the most stressful month because I had like all these mixes coming up. Plus I had like tons of days with that band and I had all these things happening. So that getting uh, postponed for a bit uh, just opened up time for me to really focus on the mixes that I had coming in. They came in pretty fast. It's that, uh, I don't know how to say their name, but that AHTME band. We, uh, we, uh, May. Oh, really? You're uh, mixing May. that band? Yeah. That's awesome. Already done. 
It was send just it. like a month ago. That hey, was like the first thing coronavirus. Can you send it over on the... Yeah, send it to me. The... They don't care. If they're, they, yeah, they don't they're care. down, sure. Yeah, I'm sure they're down. They're down. They, uh, they're definitely buds of yours, I know. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and Reaping Asmodia at the exact same time got those two okay. albums in my hands. Cool. So that occupied the first few weeks. And then now I've been working with some machine head stuff and with some other various mixes and masters coming my way. So far, it have, I haven't gotten that, what I guess I'd say, bored or like, you know, yeah, unemployed yeah. just yet. Yeah. yeah, I would imagine that I would since nobody can track anything and eventually mixes won't come in, but it, it's not really gotten there yet. And some bands are just doing more like bands like you guys that record yourself at home are probably yeah. writing at a faster pace than usual. Yeah. And then also I was thinking uh, of hitting you up to maybe mix our next one because be mixing sucks. I think you're I really going to like our it. next song. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say that at me. You could say it's at me. At me or at me. I don't think I don't we're know. sure. Anyway. <laughs> we don't the at me thing. I mean, it came out so good. I think in part because I've had such hyper focus. I had nothing. I'm not leaving the house for like uh, two weeks when I'm working on it. And that, that was pretty, I found it pretty helpful. I'm probably going to like try to actually integrate some like not techniques, but like personal yeah. techniques. Like, in future projects so at this point you, you don't feel like that type of thing gives you ear fatigue to just listen to one project and kind of mix one no project. that's exactly what i'm talking that that's exactly what i'm getting because i was doing a pretty good system of like you know i would work on it super quiet most of the time if i was yeah. working on like details because i got the mix together like the hard part of that together yeah. all pretty quickly and then it was a lot of like i needed to cut every tom uh, it wasn't like I needed to manually gate the record. I needed right. to go through and do a bunch of stuff. I was going to ask you how those. Work. I was asking, going to ask you how those files were. They were great. Okay, they cool. really went well. It was like one of my favorite things I ever got from a studio, nice. and then Dude. and uh, for that one and for Reaping Asmodia, because I mean, I'm saying I worked on those two pretty simultaneously. So I was flipping back and forth uh, between those two projects, and just getting some really good stuff done with that, and uh, you know, also going out on runs every day basically and yeah. doing my loud listening on my in-ear headphones doing my more like detailed listening on my fresh early morning ears in the studio so yeah no i'm very careful with this ear yeah. fatigue stuff like i don't screw around with it because i don't think you can listen to a mix for more than even like half an hour in my yeah, opinion yeah. without just yeah. being totally used to it and anything you hear is just like fine at that point totally yeah do you find that like the initial first things that you do on a mix tend to be the bulk of how it is and then it's just little from there like i've noticed that yes even though i'm like you know i'm not very good at mixing or whatever like the goods if i've done something that i would consider to be good for my skill set it's always done like in the first 20 minutes and then after that it's just go it just goes to shit I mean, I try to avoid <laughs> that happening. I know what you're talking about, though, for yeah, sure. I think yeah. that's what happens, you know. Like yeah. we, I bands that get like the band Black Map that you know they're. I feel the worst for them because their recordings just interrupted, and yeah. they're yeah. like tracking elsewhere now, like trying to figure stuff out and like doing all sorts of things because it looks like my studio won't be open until at least June. It's like, yeah, you know, that's that's time. N- no other factor, but just all the time in between, like us doing being in a room together and us listening to it. Like I didn't listen to it for like a solid three weeks. We were supposed to be done with that record and attribute to the label and finished. But th- that extra time is without doubt already made the record better. 
Because, yeah. you know, yeah. you come back after three weeks, you're like, oh, what the fuck was I doing with the bass there? That, yeah, yeah. that should be different. But you yeah. don't hear that when you're on it. Even if you heard it three days ago, it's got to be like yeah. two weeks, two years, whatever. Right. It's like when you go back and listen to a mix, you're like, I could have fixed that. Uh, totally. I feel like that all the time with vocals. And that's kind of why the way that mm-hmm. I track with Naveen, you know, we'll spend a month or two months and I'll go back to vocals constantly. And I feel like it gives me a better ear to wait a little longer. Uh, I just always feel like my mind is evolving and whatever I put on record at the end is going to be best for me. Whatever I choose. Yeah, no, that's almost always the case too, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like you hear that better. Totally. So I wanted to get into this because I started thinking about, you know, you being on the podcast and all of the records that I've loved that you worked on far before I ever knew you. And I realized that I have no idea how you guys met or why, because animosity, I would say, I don't know if this is true, but it's one of the first like records that you even worked on. Right. Uh, Shut it down. Was it? Sure. Oh, the demo. Well, Shut It Down's not one of the first... I mean, that's probably like the 150th record I worked oh, on. Okay. But Hellraiser... Hellraiser. Also, oh, the right. pre-Shut It Down. We did... We I I was thinking about this today, knowing I was coming on this. I was thinking like, you know what really hits me is we did like three demos of one of the songs yep. on Shut It Down called Leashes. Mm-hmm. That song. Huh? It ended up on the album, but like that song, I think they came up for like sessions because they were just going to release like a single of it i'm not did you ever release the single version no we did actually did two songs when you had your studio you're right we we did it was called poo dab i know that when you came in the studio (laughs) i don't know what it ended up being called uh yeah that whole time was a little is a little jumbled for my memory but i know that we did like a couple different sessions and that turned into (laughs) shut it down um, I think the first thing we did was Hellraiser, though. Like, I think what I think ended up... Okay, the five-song EP. Here's what I think ended up happening. We did the Shut It Down album at mm-hmm. when you were living at your parents' house. And the studio Most was of it. All yeah. but two songs. Yeah. But then I think we went and did, like, two... Those other two songs... They were at Castle Ultimate. They were one of the first things yeah, I did there. But they were at the first... The one at... Uh, what's that place called? Yeah. Yeah, it's at, it was called Soundwave. It's called Sound Oakland Wave. Music Complex now. Which, by the way, I've been back in that room because that's where I was rehearsing with like the city. They literally took one of my two rooms as oh, okay. their like rehearsal and spot. And kept it all this time? Like decades later. What? Oh, okay. oh, they just wow. randomly got it, you mean? No, it's totally random. Okay. I just end up back in that exact same rehearsal room that where I had my crazy. studio. But anyway, I think we yeah. might have done another... like a two songs that made it onto the album and then we had another new one floating around or something. I, don't, I actually don't know. Yeah. <laughs> to answer your question, Shane, you yeah. asked how we met. Yeah, though. I'd say yeah. the first time we met is uh, Naveen, I would describe as Naveen. I was probably 19 and Naveen was probably what I would describe as a child. Yeah. So, right. I mean, I don't, I don't know how young he was, but you're probably 14 or 15, right? No, I was, Maybe. I was 16 because I had a license. You sure you had a license? You guys got driven there the first time though. No, because when I met the band, it was like <laughs> the day after I got my license. Like literally, okay, gotcha. I got my license, and then that weekend after getting my license, me and Sean, who's my brother, drove up yeah. from Santa Cruz to go to a show at Gilman, and that's where I met Animosity, and then like a couple months later, we were recording with you. So it was already, yeah. was it already preconceived that animosity was going to be working with you before 
you guys met or how did that Leo, question? Leo met I think Leo online. set it up. He's he was like, Oh, I met this dude online who like records. He's gonna record us. I'm like, okay, cool. But I think yeah, and I remember you guys had done one demo. Maybe you weren't in the band yet, but you they had done one recording before me. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it was just really, really bad. They had paid for it too. Okay, like, okay. No, no, no. There's actually two recordings before that. If we okay. want to get actually there's three if you want to get super technical. There's one minute. It might be just be two. But anyway, there's the first one that was the demo that Leo gave me, like when I met him. And <laughs> I was super jealous because I was like, fuck, his band's way better than mine. And that was like when I was actually 14 or 15. Because what band were you in at this time? It was like me and Chase and Sean's band, Regression. Okay. Chase Frazier, who later went on yeah. to be in Animosity. And then he gave me that. De they had a recording. And then I joined the band and we tried to record with someone's girlfriend who was working at a, st a studio somewhere. But it was oh, on really? like tape. Yeah. And, and. I don't know. Like our guitar, <laughs> our guitar player was like a stress case, and he like couldn't play, and he was sick, and he and the whole thing was just that like tends to happen when people can't play their it was parts. Like live. They get they get sick. It was like live, <laughs> like we had to play live. Oh no! And uh, you know, which is fine for me, obviously. But yeah. true. <laughs> anyway, that got scrapped. Yeah. It never got finished, and that's when Leo met Zach, and then. The rest is history. Wow. And, and yeah, I think he probably met me through like, if I'm guessing something must die or like one of the early metal things I had done. I think it was late nineties. Okay. I honestly think it was this ska band that we were sort of friends with. No, that makes sense. Too, I don't remember. I was doing lots of ska. Ska was the yeah. first genre of music. I really like infiltrated a scene with. It wasn't metal. Why? Why was ska the first one? Well, for one, I was playing in a ska band. That helps. Uh, 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 okay. And also, like, so I started just recording ska bands. And, you know, I was working with a lot of various... And we say ska, like, a lot of those bands, third wave ska, like, it was borderline metal at times anyway. It was kind of, like, that more that style of it. Mm -hmm. I rarely recorded, like, traditional old reggae-sounding ska. It was always, like, very aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, mid late... to late 90s ska. Yeah, totally. That the ska wave went through my high school too. It was kind of like four mm -hmm. years above or older than me, but I I was um like the ska crowd was the music crowd for a while right. at my high yeah. school. Dude, the band geek mafia, voodoo glow skulls. <laughs> <laughs> Is that that's what you're talking about? That kind of ska? Yeah, probably. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But lots, uh, but I mean, also with lots of horns. Like every band I was recording, yeah. like I was pretty. Like, I think the first nice mic I bought, I bought with the intention of, I need a good saxophone mic. It had nothing to do with, like, anything else. And like then you were going to, like, oh, I'm going to let people scream into this now. Yeah. yeah. Trading it up. Well, yeah, I did. I, so, I yeah, that's... Uh, that was. But, yeah, the shutted down sessions were fucking wild. I don't know if you remember <laughs> just how strange and great yeah. that recording session was but i, I remember it fondly because we're like we did that in my parents living room right yeah, yeah. oh wow i i want to say i remember my dad walking up to me and saying something about you as being like oh that drummer's really good oh, really? <laughs> and my dad knows nothing you're like playing blast beats and my dad's never heard a blast beat in his life he's like what's yeah. all this now because he you guys were still distinctly different than all the other metal bands even that i had recorded at the time wow thanks man Thanks. I mean, that makes sense. Well, yeah. 
Because you heard Dying Fetus and nobody else had. That's what I'm saying. I was <laughs> hip to it, dude. I heard Dying Fetus when I was 15. So everyone yeah. else was listening to a bunch of nonsense. And I was like, check this <laughs> out. Yeah, which is funny because from there, I mean, to me, when I was a kid, Deathcore, I guess, All Shall Perish and all of these Bay Area bands were like breaking. And yeah. Yeah. T- uh, to me... Like back in the day, I remember hearing your name all the time because all of my favorite bands were going to Zach Oren to record. Yeah. Light This City, I talk about all the time. I mean, that was later in time, but you were kind no, of... No, it's not that much later. Well, well, I'm talking about Facing the, <laughs> Facing the Thousand specifically, which I okay. think was in 06 they released yeah, it. Yeah, it was. And uh, so to me, you were just like this fabled guy in San Francisco who was, make, who was behind all of... The, my favorite bands at the time so to go on and like awesome yeah i'm i mean it's crazy i never i kind of put that together this morning i never anticipated that i would be in a band who then went on to work with you a lot and that you've become a friend of mine and stuff like that but you were kind of behind this like bay area wave do you deathcore no doubt about that yeah i I, i'll own that for sure because like you look at it (laughs) What are some of the more obscure ones you're thinking of? Because there's more than people realize. I mean, I'm probably just thinking of the more generalized one. I know that you did like early Ghost Inside. I wouldn't consider Deathcore, but I know you did As Blood Runs Black back in the day. Uh, All Shall Perish. I did all the records, As Blood Runs Black. Even they did one at Shark Bite like five years ago. Oh, really? I didn't know that you were doing Their last record. Wow. But I mean, you could probably that had offshoots like Belay My Last and like all those see that's exactly bands that came off of that. Belay My Last was like I listened to that. I think it was an EP that they did that may have been all they ever released, or maybe it was a full length. I can't remember the name of it, but I remember that song "One Foot in the Grave" specifically. Like <laughs> I, I loved all of that shit, and it's um, do you, did you like realize that there was a thing coming from your studio at that? back in the day or is that something that now you're like oh wow i was no i thought about it recently actually just there's this Mm. sweet spot between uh i don't know probably 2005 and 2009 where i recorded a lot of these groups that seemed like none of these recordings outside of maybe the all shall perish ones were like records that we spent more than like a week on you know (laughs) like these are all including that as blood runs black record you just brought up like that record was a five-day record they came up they left. And then I got a call from a label being like, Hey, did you record this? We we need like two more songs of this and all this kind of stuff. And then they blast off from there. And same thing with like a lot of those bands that like you mentioned, ghost inside ghost sites huge now. And like, yeah. they're just a band that came up for like five days and did her quick hardcore record that like, it was so nonstop. Naveen probably remembers this aspect of me but even though we didn't record between like 2005 and like 2011 or something, there was like a big gap there, but like there was like just constant, actually, no, when you guys were recording empires, that had already started where we were just booking the studio 24 hours a day between me and Aaron, just like bands in bands out records in records out. I mean, I have some regret about that because there's some of these records. I'm like, man, these, if I had done these two things better, the record would be better. But then nowadays I've gotten more perspective. I'm like, well, maybe part of my bad quote unquote, bad engineering things I was doing, cutting corners, like made some of the records exactly what they are. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember that was how it was when, uh, when we recorded empires with you, I know that it was just like, Oh, 
in three days, I'm doing embrace. No, that the was you I'm guys. Doing... <laughs> a little more than me in that case. If I remember correctly, it was your goal. I, I remember this specifically about you in 2005. You said you were not down with a single drum edit being on that record. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know if you remember this. Totally. You didn't no, no, I, I definitely edit. remember it. Trust me. And you did like, and like you had better takes that we didn't use specifically because you were like, nah, I fucked up that one part. So we're going to, you want it one take start to finish each song. And I think no dick. click track. Right. So like, it was just like, and no click it track. had to be all one like that. How do you record with no click track? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Me. I'm wondering that you recorded most of your records with no click track. No, but I mean, from an engineer standpoint, yeah. you know, like, engineering standpoint, it's my favorite way to record it. And also a challenge but like it's a challenge if you're gonna not live track the basics but like i fucking love throwing a band now that i have a big enough studio to do it like yeah, you, yeah you've been a part of it recently like you know if i can get a live take where the band's playing together it's still kind of an unbeatable yeah thing to me like if i could do that and they can play really good a lot of the bands i'm play recording especially in like tech death like they're playing stuff they can't really play up to studio good and so like that's a whole different oh called scenario. out yeah dude called yeah. out <laughs> no, i'm i will not hesitate to call out half of half that's low 90 percent of yeah, these like hyper technical death metal bands that you know and there's something to that too i used to just think it was like gross and i didn't like being part of it but now i'm like well no you're making a product to aspire to yeah. like playing wise and a lot of those bands can deliver the goods live or right. at least 95% of it. Yeah. And then there's the ones that come in just like that I hate for the rest of my life because they come in like with stuff that's like literally 80 beats per minute faster than they could ever humanly play it. Yeah. Yeah. And that that <clears throat> still drives me nuts. It's not my scene and I don't really want to be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's really what it comes down to. All right. Well, was, we're going to end it there. <laughs> yeah. End of it. <laughs> Uh, I totally. Um, that's the thing I like about Entheos. You guys have never like brought something to me that you couldn't play or yeah. any well, dog shit like that. Yeah, I mean Try that's it. never been the point for us is to be like this no. hyper tech band, which is weird because I think that a lot of people anticipated our band being that way, like making super tech stuff, or anticipated that our band would sound a little differently just because. Yeah. You know, they thought we'd be animosity or we'd be... Or they thought you'd be flesh rot or, or like yeah, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Which isn't, you know, we're a different band than that. But I totally agree with you. That type of music is what draws me in. Stuff that is humanly possible and emotive. And I find that in a lot, I'm not going to say every technical band, but in a lot of those bands, it's like missing some human element that... Absolutely. That, I mean, I that's, mean, that's a, the yeah. thing that always makes a good record in that genre, too. Some of my favorite records I've done, in, you asked about Click Track, maybe? Well, like, one of my favorite, like, tech death records that's, like, fully in that tech death genre that I still enjoy to this day is that uh, uh, Odious Mortem record, Cryptic Implosion, I think it's called. And, like, that record, no Click Track. Mm. That's just Casey going in there, Damn. you know, hammering the songs out, do a few drum edits, yeah. go on to layer bass, guitar, vocal, done super organic sounding record like because and then like it was just great doing that that style of like yeah. tech death and i like that a lot more than like completely mapped out click track we got to quantize out the drums we got to make everything super perfect yeah. sometimes that works great too but like i just i'd prefer it to be like what people played yeah. not some like i'm into you know i mean i have origins in computer music so it's like i'm 
I've heard enough of that. I don't want to hear like a, just a souped up guitar pro thing. So I want to really get yeah. real things. Going. I mean, I think, I think there's definitely something to be said for music. That's like hyper inhuman. It's kind of, Oh, absolutely. It takes sure. on its own form and it's something different than the organic feel. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like sometimes I'm in the mood to hear something that's just like super fake and yeah, I think the, crazy. I want to hear that because it, it's like, uh, it's like audio porn. Yeah, it's a thing that you just have to kind of take for what it is, I guess. Yeah. And most of the time, it's not my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah <laughs> just t- even taking it for I what know it Zach, is. I know Zach likes the natural yeah. vibe. Yeah, totally. It doesn't have to be... And to be clear, I'm like, I'm not trying to go over the top here with this. Like, for example, you you were bringing up Chase. I mean, his band Continuum, their new record, that's like right in the sweet spot for me, too, for this tech death stuff. Yeah. Because, you know... Yeah. They all really play the stuff. Like, there's not actually that much drum editing on that record, for example. And like, yeah. it's all still pretty hyper technical. Yeah, they just deliver the goods. Yeah, totally. you're just you're right about that sweet spot. There's the yeah, just a sweet spot where their tech bands continuum is a really good example of bands that I really like because I can listen to it and hear a band, as opposed to when I hear like Naveen listens to some super like hyper edited guitar stuff sometimes and I just don't hear a band behind it and I think it yeah it turns me off because I can go and l- listen to a lot of like cool electronica if I want to to hear that vibe but yeah. I understand why it why it exists and why people are into it it's more for that's what I'm saying like sometimes at a certain point in my life I was like if it sounded like a band I didn't want to listen to it I only yeah. wanted to listen to project sounding music mm-hmm. you know, oh, really okay and some people are still like that and i think a, yeah, a lot absolutely. of people that listen like people that are gravitate towards like flesh rot they're more into project style music just like one man hashing it out yeah rather than a band well i'm super into those things in general too and i mean some of my favorite projects i work on are like with one person or two people like just and i absolutely think it's because of that they've 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 uh, cheated their way around the whole thing of having a band and dealing with all the interpersonal and they're able to actually just get what they're trying to do out, like out of their head. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I love that fresh flesh rot record has like some really, really interestingly done like things. I don't think really could get out of your head to a different guitarist and like get all that shit, like just exactly uh, right. Yeah. I mean, I don't even want to throw flesh rod into the super hyper technical thing because no, I, I love that record so much. I wouldn't even consider it. it, it it's not what I'm talking about, you know, but which is no. funny that you say that because like D- Dustin and I, our friend, uh, you know, you know, Dustin, Dustin yeah. Miller, I know him through that record too, in some ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he mastered it and, we would talk a lot at that time when I was recording it and he would sort of say what you're saying, like, Oh, if it's like super hyper edited and all, and it's all quantized and stuff, it's like, it kind of loses its soul. And I'm like, flesh rots like that. You know, every single drum hits quantized. Like the right. guitars I mean, you are... did it a really cool way though. You did correct me if I'm wrong. You did real symbols yep. and then like the drums are all uh trigger, right? Yeah. It's so like, like mesh, heads, mesh heads pretty much. Yeah. And then, yeah. I mean, I would just play the first thing that came to mind and quantize it, and that would be the the, the take. I was bringing that up, by the way, Chady. Actually, more like Naveen saying he's listened to these bands are a project type thing. Yeah, that's like, in my opinion, just like a great example of something like that. That's Absolutely. all. Like, because like I don't think it comes out right if it's like some giant production. If yeah. he like comes in 
like does that with some producer and like they go through and get these perfect sounds and do all this oh yeah stuff like no that came out the way it came out because it's fucking nasty like that the way it's put together it's just i also think there's definitely like what you were saying about the flaws of the album making it cool Uh, right i think that record is like total embodiment of that because it's like i didn't know what really what i was doing but it just sounds insane yeah you know so yeah that's rare but it happens <laughs> but yeah. well so you did uh Atme and reaping asmodea and what else are you working on is that it i uh, know i mean i've been working on new machine head stuff working on uh what the fuck else have i been doing i did like three mastering projects like they just come and go and i forget but whatever you know it's just quarantining quarantining whatever how did it come about that you were the guy who's working on pretty much every machine head record now how did you meet because you're like pretty full time with them right i mean i know you do a lot full time is one way i mean yeah i guess like at one point you were sort of full time with them right no no i'm saying sitting in on their like uh, writing sessions and whatnot right yeah, I mean, you've been around for it. I mean, yeah, yeah. people, you're on two Machine Head songs. One that's come out is like their top track, like in years. Like it's Damn. doing really well. Let's I don't know if happens. you see this, but see that track's happens. doing great. Let's see what happens. On the radio when you, and when shit. You, when, what? You, when you make the good decision to get me on the track, you see, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, it's about I fucking did. time. <laughs> I said yeah. I, those words came out of my mouth. My mouth. Uh, this song sounds like it needs Naveen Copperweiss on it. Wow, well, no I was happy regrets. to do it. Came out great, but. The one that hasn't come out, I'm more. I'm honestly more excited about that song. I know, I like that one. I like that one. Yeah, that one. It's got that. You haven't even heard like what they made of that breakdown because like you came in, like they wrote a breakdown with you on the spot, and like it yeah. turned into something really cool eventually. I'm excited, but to hear like it, it's not done. Like and it's hard for him to finish things right now because of you know, yeah, shelter in place. But yeah, right, right. Right. Well, back to my original question: How did you? Yeah, yeah, how sorry. did you? Oh, yeah, sorry, how did sorry. you meet Rob and become the guy? We met actually way back in 2010. He came and uh, recorded an acoustic song at, the, I believe, the referral of Eddie from All Child Paris. Said, "Hey, you got to try working with this guy." And what I thought after that, because we got together for like four hours, he seemed super stoked on what we worked on, and then we just never spoke again for like six years. And I just assumed like, and then I saw they came out with two albums with the same guy they had been working with one. And I just assumed, I was like, well, I guess whatever. He just didn't want to do the records with me. But I, you know, I find out later, you know, when he came in and did that, they were in the middle of recording an album. Like oh. they were already in studio. And like, it wasn't until years later that he finds out I'm working like 30 feet down the hall from their practice space. Cause oh, Shark right, Bite right, right. was at the same <clears throat> facility and they had already done two records at my studio before i had ever even met the owner of my studio like that guy the guy they did the records with i'm sure they would have worked with him again they were actually really happy with him but he's disappeared off the face of recording in 2008 so he's been gone for a long time but he recorded out of shark bite yeah yeah the guy uh mark keaton i think is mark keaton he recorded two records of theirs from Ashes empires and the blackening in okay. like 2003 and 2005 so those okay. records were done at Sharkman. then they spent you know they went to various studios and did the next couple records with this guy Wander Tiaga that I'm sure you've yeah. seen a few records he's, he's, a, done, he's done all sorts of shit he was in that band Vile yep that's right he was in Vile and uh I used to jam that and band, then for sure we 
did a record then, you know, so then he texts me out of the blue in 2016 is like, Hey, I uh, just found out from Ryan, you're working here. Now you want to talk about getting together and recording. And then we didn't record uh machine head first. We actually recorded this band dressed the dead smart idea on his part. He was kind of, you know, trying me out with another band just yeah. to see how it goes. And that recording went awesome. And like literally like, you know, within a couple of days, like, Hey, I dig what's going on here. Just want to like, know that, you know, we're going to be doing the album with you and doing this. And then we spent the next year and a half working on an album that is like infamous at this point, because it's an album that broke up the band. It's, way over 70 minutes long and it's all over the place and people love it. People hate it. And it's weird, but you know, we've done a bunch since then too. We've done like almost a whole album of material since then, including like the song you played on and all that shit. Right. right. And only two songs have come out from that, you know? Oh yeah. Right. So that's, what's wild about it all. Did people they... don't realize how much material they have banked up right now. Yeah. Right. Did they get can't their tours, anything get canceled because of this? Currently? Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah. Their, yeah. Their, their, their tour cancellation they were like, is like, they were going tragic. to Europe and shit, right? They had like a whole. I, I saw that. what I was their second to last show that they will have played probably for a year or so, because I'm sure their tours are like the kind of tours that are going to be the last kind of tours that are going to be able to go to, you know, oh, they yeah. need it. Mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they had, they had done Europe. They had, I mean, I was there for a lot of them, like also selecting new band members, you know, cause they needed a new drummer, new lead guitarist. And it was like a big deal. And like, so that was a huge thing to part of. And that was like really nice to watch the whole thing blossom into them really succeeding in these tours because they got this really killer drummer, Matt, you met Matt. He was in the studio the day you were recording that the British guy. And then uh, they got a VOG from decapitate to be their new lead guitarist. And then they're also touring with their original band members. Yeah. Because Uh you guys are, Oh yeah, you're fine. Never mind. Because there's like a (laughs) machine head is doing an anniversary tour. Correct. For that. uh, Of their first record. Right. So he's, go ahead. Yeah, no, they have two lead guitarists and two drummers. So those two, they, and it's like two shows. When you go to the show, there's like, you see the new band playing every other album, like playing, you know, like an hour and a half of like set list. And then the 1994 reunion of the Burn My Eyes lineup comes on and does a whole other set of that album, start to finish and some covers. And oh, that's, wow. so it's a three hour show with no opener. That's pretty yeah, cool, that's though, early. for a fan of Machine Head. If you want to see it, you got to go to that tour. That that would be the full experience. It was going so well, too. Like, I mean, especially like just I was shocked how well. I mean, I saw them in Oakland at Fox Theater do this and like it works really well. Their fans are really liking it. And so they were about to go back to Europe, go to Australia, do U.S. Yeah. Part 2 do South America and they got all these things lined up and it's all, you know, postponed indefinitely. Jeez. And instead they're just, you know, left in limbo. Plus it's supposed to be a 25th anniversary to Arari on year 26. And it's going to be like 27 by the time they're actually able to finish the tour. Jesus. That is brutal. Yeah. I mean, it is for brutal. bands, I think of it more from my perspective, it's like, Oh, our tour got canceled. Well, that's you know kind of yeah. shitty, I guess. But then, with a band like that or the bigger productions where so many more people are counting on that for livelihood, that's yeah, pretty shitty. So, it's super shitty for them, yeah. I'm sure, but they're making do. 
That's good. So are, are they like having to, they're postponing everything and just moving it out a year? Or? Yeah. I mean, they just announced, like they announced, a, they already announced uh, rescheduled dates for one of the tours, but like with the giant disclaimer of, you know, I'm sure you guys might do this in the future too. Like you're going to probably have to start thinking about rescheduling that tour with that you were about to, you're supposed to be on tour right now. Am I right? Yeah, yeah we what are. What city are you in today? Um, like you, Actually, uh, I think that right now we would be driving from one tour that ended in Seattle to the next tour oh, okay. that started in uh, Calgary. Oh, wait, the tour would already be over? Yeah. Yeah. So the next tour was okay. supposed to start started, tomorrow. It was supposed to start June 9, right? <laughs> no, it was <laughs> June? June is in a month. <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry. I mean, April 9th. April 9th, April yeah, 9th. and then the second tour was supposed to start on yeah. May 1st. So. Well, that was a fast tour. That went by quick. Yeah, it was a three-week. <laughs> yeah, life flies by fast, huh? Yeah. yeah, and so what I'm saying is you'll reschedule that, but when you reschedule it, you'll probably still have to have the caveat that, like, this also, it's like 50-50 to actually happen, so that's what they just did. But they're, I mean, in everybody's mind, it's more like 90-10 that it's going to get canceled. Cause yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just super wishful thinking to think by fall, like, every, you know, that's a European tour. It's like, you're going to fucking, what if just Paris and London go down? Yeah, right. yeah. And right. you've got a huge European tour, but you've got just Paris and London. You can't have more than a thousand people or something. It's yeah. like, well, that's the, you know, you're losing like even two cash cows on a tour. Yeah, like the whole thing's going to be in the red immediately if you lose even like a couple shows. You got to have all of them happen. Yeah. So we basically need like a cure. That's I mean, you may have heard Newsom said there's going to be no concerts in California until there's a vaccine or a therapeutic. I did hear like that's like that's it's actually probably correct. Like when you think about it, you're like, yeah, who's going to be going to shows? Like shows are like the number one place that you can imagine people getting it. They got coronavirus, like most likely on their last tour, that band. So especially you know. a metal show, people getting all rowdy. Yeah. Everyone's. Yeah. It's fuzzy. definitely the worst thing to do in the middle of a outbreak. Yeah. I mean, you saw what happened with Exodus Testament and, uh, sorry, who was <laughs> the last very important band in that tour, whatever those, guys all got coronavirus all of them i mean oh, oh death angel like the drummer of death angel was in a coma for 12 days and should have died he was the only guy in the hospital to live from a Whoa. coma Seriously? so it's like the whole once you got a tour bus and one guy has covid19 the whole tour bus is going to have covid19 and yeah. it's like ridiculous they even got back into the country because they were all deathly ill by the time they got home and some of them were fine but most of them were not because you get sick wow. on all tour anyway degrees yeah, no matter what exactly. on tour, yeah. yeah, you're getting sick and it's you're getting You're in a past. Petri dish. You totally are. <laughs> and it's like you go from one Petri dish to the other because you're in a van or a bus, a traveling tube, and then you walk into a venue, which is another. It's even worse. Yeah. It's just constant, constantly exposed to germs and everything. It's pr- Being on tour is fairly disgusting, no matter what level of touring yeah. you're doing. So so is that, uh, what? What are, what is the reasoning behind you never becoming a touring musician because you play like instruments i don't like it well. I, don't. I mean i went on my favorite tour ever last year honestly and it's yeah. still i had like a couple things there i was just like a couple times where i was just like can i just press a button be teleported back home like right now but <laughs> was this when generally you, speaking it was so good was though. this when you were touring with like the city right and here's yeah. why it was a good tour a just six days B, every show was amazing. That's not a tour. Six well, it was, it was in Mexico, C, the though, food right? was amazing. Yeah, it was in Mexico. Yeah. Everything was so cheap. All the food was so great. Yeah. 
it was just like really and also i mean we played well every day which is nice so like none of that stress and like it was kind of stressful to like get ready for that tour because i was so out of shape as a guitarist and like their music's not tremendously complex but it is challenging because it's like fast and like i had to like get arm speed back and like be ready to be on a stage I wish I could have seen 100 that. degrees. I really wish I could have seen that. I, one, because of how much I love that band. And two, because I would love to see you playing with that band. It was, it was, it was super fun. And, you know, I knew it was, <laughs> I, it was a one-time thing. There was a chance I was going to go to Japan with them too. That didn't materialize Their Their guitarist was able to go. So it was good. Well, so why, glad I did it though. Why didn't you like it? What didn't you like about it? Oh no, I had fun on that. That was, like I said, that was the best of all tours I've been on. I've been How many on tours like, have you done? Maybe eight. Really? I don't that know, many? Like eight. Damn. Who else? I had you? fun in 2000. I've had more fun the older I am on tour, to be honest. Because like, A, I've like, I'm financially solvent enough that if I'm like super uncomfortable in some weird situation, I'm like, screw this. I'm going to go get a hotel and yeah, like yeah. whatever. Like, and like, you know, the things that made me super <laughs> uncomfortable about touring are avoidable the older you get, yeah. honestly. Yeah. It's yeah. true. I think so as well. Like, I kind of, I mean, I've never I, been I on found a that tour. I, I found that out kind of early on in the game. Like, if you want to do something on tour, just go do it. Don't be like, hey guys, we should go eat at, the, you know, if everyone wants to go eat somewhere and you don't want to eat there, then just go somewhere else. Don't be like, no man, yeah. we got to go eat. You know, like, that's what I did in Animosity. I would just always do my own thing. That's kind of what we'll I see. That's why you just said that you've never been on a bus tour. Bus tours are cool, but you don't get a lot of the luxuries that you get on a van tour in a bus mm -hmm. or a bandwagon. It's it's, yeah. it's true. Uh, you shower less on a bus most of the time because if you're going to a lot of venues that may not have showers or you just can't get in a shower that night, there's no place to shower unless you right. uber to a planet fitness whereas in a van we're going to a planet fitness every day and showering or you know or you can't through or yeah you can't choose where a bus parks you're going from point a to point b <laughs> so there i know that it's there are more comfortable places to sleep and you can kind of chill on your bus and you don't have to drive so there are definitely those positives but the not being able to choose where you're at ever and kind of constantly yeah. having to be around everyone unless you like get away from the venue. It's uh, there are positives and negatives to honestly. If you don't care about partying very much, it's kind of a wash. I don't, I yeah. hate partying. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, when I was in Mexico, I, I didn't drink the whole time. So it just, it was going to stress me out if I did. Like, I don't want to like feel even slightly hungover on a day like ever. So I didn't even like have a beer in Mexico. Like I was just but, yeah. I mean, the bus sober thing, in Mexico the whole time. The bus and thing, like, though, that's just for people who like want to party and get totally. I yeah, find a, that people to be thrive. Yeah. Oh yeah. I find that to be the case. Whereas like I, you know, I've done my fair share of that stuff obviously, but at this point I'll just not drink and drive after the show. It doesn't matter to me. I'm there to work. That's all I've ever, I've, I honestly, on the recent tours I've done, that's part of what's made it better. Like I, yeah, I did, because I mean, the, I'm thinking back to bad tours, like in 2000 when I went to Japan with a band that I was playing in for a long time, Box and Compass, and I mean, that tour should have been so much fun. All the shows were great. They were usually like three to 500 people at every show. It was awesome. All the, you know, Japan's incredible. But I also was just having a terrible time the whole time because, like, I had no 
authority over where I was going or what I could do. Plus there's no yeah. cell phones too. So I'm just like, if I got lost from the group, I'm dead. I'm just dead in Tokyo and just like <laughs> no way to contact anybody. I didn't even really have a cell phone if I remember correctly. So like, like there's that. So there's that fear of being in this foreign land. And then just, we are like on, you know, floor of a small apartment that we were like staying at in Tokyo and then just moving around all these places, taking all this stressful transportation from place to place didn't really get a chance to like enjoy it nearly yeah, yeah. as much as I would these days. Like I, I would have fun doing it now. Yeah. That's what I find now about being a little older. It's like I'm, I'm outfitting our van to be like this little camper van thing. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen your van progress. Dude, it's way sick. I don't know. It's getting, it's getting way sick. Once I'm going to start, I'm on the decorating stage. Once I start decorating this bitch, it's going to be awesome. Anyway, um, <laughs> It's like I'm more pumped for me and Cheney to just like go to some national parks than to go on tour. You know, I want to yeah, I, no, I, I like go travel. I've never traveled really outside of playing shows. That's, I haven't either. I haven't seen most of the United States, to be honest. Like I've wow. been through the West Coast and the South a bit, but not. I mean, when sorry, the Southwest Coast, like, you know, like Arizona, New Mexico. Right. But like I've never even been to Texas. I haven't been very far at That's all. That's crazy. Wow. But yeah, I mean, like seeing... That's not, not, you haven't even been to Texas, huh? Outside of a layover on a flight, no. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can do it one day. But yeah, I mean, just seeing these like food shows and travel shows, they go to all these little quaint, like cool places in the U.S. And I'm like, I want to go there. Yeah. Well, yeah, because even when you're on tour, the place that you get dropped, first of all, we don't have time to see anything for the most part because we're leaving shows at 1 a.m. You get there. You're going to the next show. You don't go and see cool things. But the places you're getting dropped are generally either in the middle of like a super metropolitan busy area where you can't really get out of the business district or it's in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. And you can't get to anything. <laughs> There's no. Wait, why are you getting dropped in the middle of nowhere? I don't know about this. Because why that's is that what, Because that's where the venue is sometimes. Oh, OK. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're going to, to one of these two places and you're not necessarily seeing anything really cool yeah. about the city aside from their business district or their like cornfield or whatever field in the right. middle of nowhere next and to that venice. happens a lot in europe too you'll be like sick we're in uh venice, venice we went to venice like on tour in some really weird parking lot like 20 <laughs> miles away from venice that's exactly what happened i was so excited to go to venice and get to see uh the boats and all of the yeah. Uh, what are what are they called? The waterways. Okay, they're called uh, gondolas. Gond- well, the gondolas, yeah. Yeah. but what are the waterways that the gondolas are on? Canals. Canals. There we go. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Which so are I... filled with alligators now, by the way. What? what? That, well, like fish. Like all the wildlife is returning because there's nobody on them in in the quarantine. Oh, wow. I remember oh, Italy is locked, locked, locked down. Yeah. And like. I'm working. I was work, one of the bands I've worked with in the quarantine was an Italian band that like yeah. was, I was doing a mix master for, and they, oh. they, you know, they couldn't even get their material to me for like the reason that they literally couldn't leave their house to like even possibly like do like basic necessities. Like they're not uh-huh. like we're ours is nothing. Like they're getting their groceries delivered to their front door. Like that's the only way you're allowed to get groceries. Like it was wild how much more strict their quarantine was than ours i was about to but they do also a, yeah. the problem got more out of control too but whatever i was about to do a drum track for a kid who is in italy like when this shit all <laughs> popped off and he was like i can't pay you like they yep. won't they won't they like 
payrolls are stopped till May 4th. No, 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 not that he didn't afford it. He was like, PayPal's like shut down in Italy. That's what I'm saying. No, I'm saying yeah, that. I'm like, saying that's... I can't get paid for that Italian project till the 4th for that exact reason. Yeah, he was like, oh, you could make like an eBay thing and I can buy it. <laughs> what? What is that benefiting for them to shut I down no PayPal? Idea. I have no idea. It's not that simple. It's more like their banking systems are like... Fucked. Uh, okay. Halted. You have no idea how... I mean... I don't even know the details. So I'm not even going to just try to talk about this all, but yeah. yeah. But I was like, hey, you know what, man? Why don't you save your money until after this? Don't pay me to do a drum track. So, yeah. That's where I was. And at I, you, were, you were talking about getting dropped at random places. I was like, what's a good equivalent of that? And the Bay Area's like, oh, yeah. Like if you got dropped at the Pound SF, like back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I've never been, been to the Wild. Pound. I hear about it all the time. I know. That's before your time. Uh, but I, I mean, saw Animosity play the very last show there. Yep. Oh, right. Wasn't right. Th- what happened at that show? There was something. Free bar happened at that oh. show. Oh. Open bar. Yeah, open bar. Oh, yeah, you they guys can't take the bottles with them, right? No. Oh, my God. Yeah. So everyone was just absolutely demolished at the last pound show. Yeah, I think they blew out the sound system, too. Like, literally, like, semi-intentionally, there's, like, a line, like, never go past <laughs> this line. And, like, the, they were just like, fuck it. And, like... It, it, it like from what I heard, it like broke immediately, like yeah. halfway through yeah. your set. I didn't. Uh, I don't remember drinking that night. I might not have been into drinking at that time. Yeah. Why? Yeah, why, why did the pound shut down? It seems like such a legendary. I don't place remember. And... I mean, it might be construction. It might literally be where the Warriors Arena is now. Like I don't I, know. I think it was, but it was off of, in the middle yeah. of nowhere in like Hunter's Point. Yeah. It was so cool. I remember the first time. Do you remember your first time going there, Zach? Yeah, I think I was playing there the first time I was going there. Unless it was the time, the first time I saw Animosity there, because I saw you twice there. Okay, well, we played there like I don't know, I'd say well over ten times. Well, yeah, Zach, have yeah, you always we... not gone to very many shows? Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, like a, never. Yeah, yeah. like a. So not you were just more never went to in, none, but I've never gone to a lot. You've no. never gone to a lot. Yeah. Well, that's why I've gone to more the last four years, honestly, than ever. Yeah. Yeah. See, one of the reasons I was excited about this tour that we were about to go on is because we were going to finally play the Oakland Metro, which is right yeah, down the going. street from. Yeah. <laughs> and we were You're, like, Zach can see us. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> but you've seen us before, to be fair. I did. I went to you in Berkeley. But yeah, I don't remember that. But what was your first time at the pound? Dying fetus. Destroy the opposition tour. Oh, my God. Yeah. Also, I just remember the answer to your question. The first time I was at the pound, we were opening for Goat Horror, and uh, I forgot the other band, but we, it was a Goat Horror show we played that Myotonia, my old tech metal band, played oh, at yeah. the pound. Yeah, you're that the- was the show I'm thinking of. Yeah, I was like trying to, f- we were trying to find it. I think, okay, my, something happened. Like Sean <laughs> and I were going to take like the BART over because we were at my dad's house in Berkeley, but we oh, missed yeah. it or something and we were going to straight up miss the show and we're like, dad, you got to take us to the show, man. You know, and he's like, all right, whatever. So he, he, we were driving around. This is like before Google Maps and stuff and we're like, there's a venue out here? This is just weird. Like, what are we doing yeah. out here? And uh, so we finally God, found it and there was like so few people there. I mean, there was probably 50 tops and it was a sick show, obviously. Was your dad horrified to drop his two children? He off went to the this? show. Oh, nice. yeah, he went to the show. Yeah, sounds yeah. like my- I, I yeah. hung out with your dad at yeah. the pound once. I remember. Oh, he <laughs> used like, to go to all the shows at the pound, dude. 
Yeah. He was he was up in there. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I he know was. I know Mark and I know that you know now. Well like Leo's like, parents would go to I mean it's like a couple miles away from their house. Yeah. It's like right down the street. Totally. And then uh, it's the best example I can think of of like, you know, the fucking poor touring band that's gonna be here for like just a few hours before they drive to Seattle come like one AM and like you they go to the pound of all places in San yeah, Francisco. Yeah. They eat no burritos, they go see no <clears> sights, and then they just have to go back on you know, the five all the way up. Well, we would usually, because we would go to a lot of shows there, and, and if we, we would know a lot of the bands, we would take them over to Cancun. I'm glad you were doing that. Because <laughs> Cancun is pretty close to there, too. So we'd be like, yeah. you guys got to go eat at Cancun, for sure. Pancho so Villa. We would do that. Whatever. Yeah, that like, sounds actually really good right now. Want me some Cancun. Cancun is really good. Yeah, I had it like a year ago. It was the last time I've had that shit. I think I've I got too had. much good burrito here. Yeah, Oakland or... Oakland, Alameda, yeah. Berkeley. I don't need to cross the bridge to the hellhole to get anything. I don't like yeah. San Francisco. I never no, have. No, we were, we were talking my whole life. about a week ago. We were talking to someone else about how much we hate San Francisco. I don't like it at oh, all. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. like San Francisco at all. I mean... I don't like cities. I don't really like cities. Mm-hmm. I'm from a very small city, and going to San Francisco is just... It's a total clusterfuck and everything that I don't like. There's no parking there. Not right now, dude. It's mm-hmm. legit. I was there yesterday. It rules. If if San yeah. Francisco was like it is now all the time, I'd be like, this this is awesome. Like I, there was just tons of parking on the street. Like I could just, yeah, I, and I took the mm-hmm. car because I was like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to park the van. Mm-hmm. I could have just rolled with the van right in front of where I was going. That's like, amazing. No big deal. It was. That's and there's no could... traffic. I d- I drove straight to San Francisco and straight home zero traffic that's that's the life i mean yeah. i practiced in a band that practiced in san francisco for a long time that it was just like okay i gotta time this to get to my rehearsal space yeah. and that that was right off the freeway and it was still just like super annoying to me i go that there's things in san francisco like if you want to go to a concert you're probably gonna end up going like yeah, yeah. the Warfield or something so like you that's 90 percent of the time i'm going into san francisco to see a show yeah i would say Zach, what's the the most insane thing that has happened to you during a recording session? During a recording or, session? Yeah. I'm I'm hinting at a story specifically <laughs> that you oh. guys talk about. And I want you to tell the story about a lot of people getting knocked out when you were Yeah, that would be armed for battle uh, that you're talking about. Well, so I think that was two thousand eight ish. It was definitely in the place that was like on the Emeryville border. Yeah. Which, you know, that place I was thought awesome. it was in Emeryville for years. It was actually Oakland. It was Oakland it was in. Um, and uh, it was, uh, it, it involved animosity to some degree. Like it was, this band from Reno had showed up. They had two weeks booked with me to do a full length. They had actually previously worked with Aaron too. The drummer, had, his pop punk band had worked with Aaron and he was their new drummer. And he came into this like knowing nothing about whatever was about to go down. And then, they, some of the guys from the band, I think, I don't know the whole story. Naveen might even know the story better than me. I honestly like, know about it. Started a fight in Reno. Yeah, like we, when we played a show, actually it does sort of directly involve animosity. Definitely. When yeah. we played a show in Reno, uh, a fight broke out and some people, some people from the Bay Area got into like a huge brawl. I mean, this thing was crazy. It was like, 
Dan, who was our bass player at the time, Dan Kenny, got sprayed with a fire extinguisher. And I oh, was yeah, actually I heard that part. Yeah. I was like out they came out and they like broke the lights out of our van and I was actually outside the whole time, like just practicing drums like on my little practice pad just doing your paradiddles yeah and i and i all i see all this chaos like break out of the show and i'm like whoa this is insane and then i don't yeah i don't think we played and we took our friend to the hospital because he was really beat badly beaten up so there became like a bay area reno beef that's that's which i'm oblivious to by the way yeah, i never heard so any of this story before it happened <clears throat> that's really all i know about wait it. but that's is that how the reno bay area beef began yeah because it still yeah. exists to this day no, that's how it began wow oh, it might have existed before that from what i've heard but like yeah that's like a real tipping off point of where this gets really nasty and so that band books time with me and at the time my calendar is completely public like you know you go to my website you press calendar it shows exactly what bands recording on what day and somebody uh from the bay area managed to figure out that they were recording at my studio and they made the worst mistake of their life by showing up to the recording like two hours early and i've heard later later in life i hear from like the people that were part of this beatdown that like you know hey if they had seen that i was there or they had seen the scene they would have just taken off but like i wasn't there they're just in an abandoned parking lot early in the morning and dudes from the Bay area scene roll up from what I hear, mace them and beat them up with baseball bats, all of them unconscious. Really? So I they were all unconscious That's on the ground. Insane. There's blood on the ground. I know that cause I saw that. And so when, by the time I show up and probably an hour and a half, two hours later than this actually takes place, they, there's one guy from the band there. There's eight cop cars. That's the where I'm like, what the fuck's happening here? You show up to work and there's just eight cop cars in your parking lot. And you're like, Damn. and I was sharing the place with like four other people, including people near me that were all but surely tweakers. I assumed like when I show up and I see that, I'm like, well, what? I'm like, I sure hope my studio's not broken into or something because I'm just assuming it has something to do with the meth heads yeah. that are around there. But that now, area was not good for sure. It, that area wasn't like by any, that wasn't like the area you recorded Empires at though. You actually never went there. You've never been oh, to this. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Empire's spot. No. Okay. I was only at that spot for six months when you recorded. Uh, like, a total of six months that we were at that spot. That was uh, our second place. It was a disaster. Now, this is the that. place I was at for, like, five years. Uh, and okay, got it. The cops were all there, and then the singer's there, and he was the only one that refused to go to the hospital. And he was just sitting there. He tells me everything that happened. What's up? He's like, everybody else is in the hospital. Our drummer's in, like, serious condition. Like, he, I was like, oh, the fuck happened here? And then, like, Horrible. you know, then I just have to, like, go into investigation mode. I, and then I know what everybody else knows about the incident, pretty much. You know, I've had some people talk to me about it over the years. Some people that were there have admitted they're there to me and, the, you know, apologize to me. Because I don't, I don't think they realized what an impact it would have on me in Aaron because like our studio obviously they knew that it was associated to us so they were very close to just like kicking us out of the spot because okay. there was a school there like among other things we're sharing it with and like also I lost like you know several thousand dollars because obviously that recording was canceled that band as far as I know was canceled like uh, I mean yeah. a lot of bad things well, happen and that drummer got a plate in his head permanently from the whole instant so it's oh all, God. it's just such an ugly incident of everything 
Violence and is not the answer, y'all. It's really not. No. What we went not to the, answer, uh, the reason I was surprised by that being the start of the beef is because we were at a Martyr AD show probably a year or two ago, and there were it was in San Jose, and there were people from Reno there. Obviously, we found out because during the middle of one of Martyr AD's songs, they started kind of like beating the shit. The Reno people started kind of beating the shit out of everyone in the pit, not being cool mm-hmm. about it anymore, and screaming, Reno motherfuckers! And just like, <laughs> it was crazy. I I mean, I've heard about like beef, but I've never really experienced something like that in real life. It was... Uh, is, is it real? I mean, is that the two... As far as you know, Naveen might know better than me, but like, is that like the same ongoing beef? I, I have no idea. I don't know, but I can I only no assume idea. that if there's a Reno... Uh, this Bay is Area decades beef. ago at this point, you know. I mean, even at that time, I, I wasn't. The only reason I know anything about it is because I was playing drums in Animosity. Yeah, you know, I'm not right. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just like a dorky dude who plays riffs and stuff. I don't pay attention. Involved in beef. I'm not yeah. involved in any beef. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, pretty external to the whole. Thing. But I mean, it actually did involve me because, uh, you know, Animosity could never go to Reno. No. No, I mean, like, it may, you know, put a target on you guys for sure. Yeah. I mean, in that sense. Really? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was wow. concerned about the second it happened. I'm like, there's no way this isn't going to get severely retaliated. And what happened from what I remember, once again, fill in the blanks if you know anything else, Naveen, but like, I remember animosity, not, not animosity, but some of the guys from the Bay Area scene ended up feeling bad about it, helped try to make it whole with that band somehow, like got them back there was stuff stolen from them and it was like returned to them. And like some stuff happened to try to squash this whole thing, mm. like oh, very publicly on the internet too. But Dude, I, I always know, was like, like, it's not over. Aloof. I didn't, I didn't even know that what you said about Gavin Newsom, how he said, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'm not, I do, I do. My well, he said, I'm in my own let goal. me be clear what he said. He said, stage four is opening up concerts and sporting events. And that's the last stage. <laughs> what I'm saying is if I'm not like, do. if I'm not aware of that, then I'm definitely not aware of a beef. I didn't, I didn't even realize that it affected animosity that closely. There was also another thing where we were playing, uh, like we were playing some show in like Las Vegas. And it yes, was like, you were, Oh shit. I, this we, affected me too, by the yeah, way. I was like, should we cancel? Like this is, you know, <laughs> th- this is too close. It was like, there were some rumors that they were coming to get us. Wow. Yeah. You know, well, even though oh, we weren't So involved. you're talking about a different Las Vegas incident because there was a Las Vegas animosity thing. Is that the show where the venue got shut down because of your show the next day? Because that happened on a tour I was on. We were going to be, our tour was behind your tour. And that venue, that one like in, like, some Henderson crazy incident happened and they had to just shut it down and our, that tour date got canceled. The one in like Henderson, it was like outside of Las Vegas. Yeah, maybe because it was we were we were going to be support for Arsonist Good All the Girls, and they were playing like after like okay. a couple of days after you. Okay, something did some fight did happen there, but that didn't have anything mm-hmm. to do with us. I remember okay. that. Yeah, I remember what happened, and it wasn't we weren't, weren't involved at all. It was just like some local trying Beef. to flex their egos. This is actually starting to make more sense to me, though that. Because Las Vegas, we played there about a year and a half ago. And while we were playing, um, it was a vets hall, I believe. We were opening for Winds of Plague on like their 10-year decimation, decade of decimation tour. And we were playing and the pit was going crazy and some guy got tossed through a glass door. It wasn't even (laughs) really that big of a deal. I think he just broke it. 
But they called off the entire show and kicked everyone out. They were like, get the fuck out of here. Wrap up your yeah. merch. Everyone out. But it makes a little more sense why they were so like on high alert with things like that going yeah, down really in the past. Yeah. So. There's some wild things. That uh, seem to I'm really glad that I'm home. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I like being home. I'm on yeah, Zach's side. I know I'm I the older I get the more I'm kind of like you like I don't really want to go to shows very often I like to stay home and kind of chill the favorite thing I'd say that I did that was close to a tour by the way was I did a record with this band Saving Grace in New Zealand in 2013 where like I flew out to New Zealand it was cheaper to fly me there and find me studio there and they were on they were on basically Sumerian and they they're like yeah it's like his plane ticket is a mild like costs to figure in let's just fly him out there and i was there for 17 days like just doing a full length start to finish at three different studios that part i could have done without but that it was kind of cool though because like you know the drummer apparently couldn't leave his area and the singer couldn't leave his area they live like on other sides of the country so like i went to wellington did all the drum tracks then like four days later we go fly to Auckland and do the rest of the record. And I was just staying at people's houses and it was pretty comfortable. And it was, you know, that, and then I actually got to see things. I got to like, you know, on the times we're not in the studio, I actually like got to roam around cause I'm in the okay, same city yeah. for like week plus I'd wait for, for that. If touring somehow meant like I was in a band big enough that we had like a week long engagement somewhere, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, that then I'd be way more into it. Yeah. I mean, I just even don't if- like moving every day. Yeah. I totally agree with you. You start to feel like a ghost in every place that you're mm-hmm. in. It, it's a little yeah. unsettling, like not fully existing in any town that you go to and not being able to explore and do those things. We've always talked about how cool it would be if we were headlining and we were big enough to play just two shows in the same smaller venue, just leave all of our gear set yeah. up and everything and be yeah. able to go and like see things in those two days. That's kind of the dream yeah. for me. I say do it, just do it, because yeah. it works. I've seen bands do it, and it as long if, especially if you can put out two sets, some people will show up for both shows and really enjoy it. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. I don't know why more bands don't do it, but I'm sure there's a reason. I think scheduling wise, it's hard to get every venue you want for two days. Because I think we talked also, about that with Dan. Oh yeah, maybe on the podcast. I was going to say, also, people have this prestige thing that they care way too much about, where they'd want to play the bigger, more popular venue. Right, 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 right. I, I like, wouldn't. It, I like playing small. Venues, I like playing so. small venues what I'm too. Saying. I'd rather play two nights at a small venue, packed. I'd rather play two nights in a backyard than play two nights at a house of blues. Okay, what about two nights in our backyard? I would love that with no one there. <laughs> and we just okay, but we don't play. We just hang out in the backyard. Yeah, no playing, <laughs> just hanging out. Zach, weren't you playing w- in uh, Rob Flynn's band? You you played? No, no, I played in his. Uh, this like cover thing he did for charity that was i mean that was quite a band i mean you know it's like it's it was it's called rob flynn and friends and he's Mm -hmm. done it for his birthday every year but he did it in place of machine head i was i guess that was last january so like january 2019 because you know didn't have new band members yet and like it made a lot of sense anyway to just do it that way it worked really well like it was just a bizarre gig to play because it's at this easily the biggest venue I've ever played in my life. Lesher Center out in Walnut Creek. And it's like, 
way, way fancier than I even expected it to be. Like, you know, you show up and you got your dressing room. They had like a mirror. It's like Zach ordered. And there was like all this stuff laid out for me. And <laughs> really? I was like, and I'm like sitting there and like my cat t-shirt and like, like being like, what am I getting into? Like going up on the stage and there's just like, it's like, you know, really, you know, it's a big like theater venue. It's not like, you know, place bands typically play and all the other artists that were playing that night were like Grammy award winning, like jazz musicians and like just some crazy stuff like that. And the, but I mean, it was fun playing that thing. That was fun. What, what, we just what kind of stuff like did you get? Bruce Springsteen songs and shit. So it wasn't, and I played bass in it. So it was fun. Wait, were you actually playing Bruce Springsteen songs? Yeah. yeah. It was, co- was uh, covered. No, like, oh, we, oh, I mean, I, it was all covers. So it was like we did Beatles, Bruce Springsteen, Rolling Stones. Like it was for old rich people. It was like, ah. it was a charity event for ARF. So like, I think it was real. The tickets were like intentionally like super expensive. And there were like VIP after party tickets. There were even more where. You know, you go and we're just like, I'm schmoozing with these people. They're like just old, rich people, you know, uh-huh. that wanted to donate to cats and dogs. Okay. But it was all that. It's Tony LaRusa, like, you know, the famous baseball manager dude's thing. So all right. well, I don't know he was really cool. He came out to our band practice. He would just come out and hang out. He's like a complete legend. And it's hilarious to see how into metal he is and like music in general. Wow. That's, That's crazy because awesome. he's like in his seventies, and you know you don't meet too many seventy-year-old like metalheads, but he's like down. So that was like an event. Events like that are super fun. Like when we played Mexico, it's not like that, but it's just. A big... Well, we ended up recording too. That's the th- that's where it got wild. Like at the night of the show, after it went so well, because it went really well. Like people received it really well. Like Rob comes to like, like we gotta record this thing. I'm like. <laughs> oh okay cool and then like, like you know we did sessions like where we had like you've been to shark but we had like no joke i think 12 people in the studio recording at once on a song wow. like that kind of nonsense happening we wanted to do a really live vibe to it so it's all live take like my bass playing on it is 100 just like the slocked like yeah exactly live bass playing wow and it hasn't been released <laughs> Uh, that's not? the funniest thing because it's like so hard for him to release things he's got it's got to be timed his manager's got to think it's the right time that kind of stuff but it's it's gonna be he told me uh, the other day i just assumed he scrapped it he's like oh no i mean like we got it mixed and mastered and all sorts of stuff happened with it so it's gonna come out someday i want to hear that cool. yeah i want to hear it too who else was in the actual band with you so it's like craig lasistro from forbidden and bunch of other bands craig's and dress the dead now and uh andy galleon the old uh death angel drummer was on five of the six tracks on drums uh let me think there's we had the saxophone player from the doobie brothers on it we had a bunch of singers came by kayla dixon from uh dress the dead was did vocals on some stuff we did like uh jared from machine head sang Oh, you know what? No, see, the thing is, part of why I ended up playing bass on that show is he was out of the country, because otherwise it would definitely be Jared. He's always been the bass player on all those Rob Flynn and Friends things. Ah. Sorry, Rob Flynn and Friends things. That's that was a, really hard to say. Tongue twister. So, yeah, you tried, and then Crummy Joe played drums on a song. and uh, Who's Crummy Joe? Yeah, I, That's a crummy name. <laughs> I'm trying to remember his real name, because everybody calls him Crummy Joe. Crummy Joe's great. He's, he, he's he's the drummer of Jesus Crisis. Uh, 
trying to think about who else was there. There's so many other guys I'm forgetting. Well, if you need a drummer a for that group. band, you call up old old, old NK. Because yeah. <laughs> I'll take. Yeah, there that was a gear. lot of stuff. <laughs> What's that? I said you need a drummer. You call up old Naveen for that one. I'll take that gig for sure. I mean, we've done so much since then that it's crazy to well, think it al- about. That it almost thing. seems like you never stop, Zach. Like every time we've yeah. been in the I studio don't. with you, you're like, "Oh yeah, I have this, 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 that coming up. I just got done doing that. I'm uh, working on this." It's. Have you ever taken a break? Ever? No. No, this is the closest thing to a break I've ever had. I haven't been in the studio in a month, and this is the first time I've not been in the studio for a month. And I haven't worked with a band in person outside of going and helping Rob get his self-recording setup done for like half an hour one time. Like that's the closest I've been to being in the studio and like working. So, uh, so like I'm after this break, working. are you kind of like, hmm, uh, I kind of like being away from bands. I've always liked it. I mean, I have my life <laughs> set up right now where I'm doing more stuff at home. Like yeah. I... I have it so I'm working in the studio hopefully no more than 10 to 15 days a month and I think that's the healthy way for me to do it. I do better work that way. Yeah. I I'm not it's not a rule if I need to like if a band's coming from out of town we want to just hammer 25 days in a row to do some epic record. I'm fine with that too, but I yeah, like to yeah. in general trying to keep it like that. Yeah, that's that's legit. Cuz you feel it's you feel doable better now cuz yeah. I don't own my studio. It's the not owning my studio thing that enables that. It's like that I work out of this shark bite place and that we have a really good relationship and that there's other engineers coming in, filling the time. So I'm not the only person there. Sometimes I had stuff coming up here where there was like months where another engineer had like a huge project that's booked for three, four weeks in a row. So I'm like, okay, well that's time off right there to work on mix and master stuff. I don't stop. No. I'm not stopping now. I was working on stuff this morning. No, yeah. like I'm not yeah. stopping working Yeah, at all. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't. And I don't know how, because it's all blurred together. I'm just a Zach unit. And that's what my <laughs> function is. It's like, you know, the, the butter in Rick and Morty, the, the, the machine that just serves butter. Yeah. Like yeah. That's how I feel sometimes. Yeah. Do you feel good doing that all the time? Or at yeah. times are you like, uh, um, do you find yourself sort of, struggling with it ever i find it myself struggling with it less and less because i think the biggest thing that i'd struggle with is working on projects that i didn't believe in like meaning like just i'm stuck working on a big project that is not anything i like at all yeah and i don't have that happen much anymore it's probably been Mm -hmm. a long time since that has happened at least for something like where i'm going to be working on it for weeks like I don't get myself into situations where I'm like working with a band that I don't like and don't think I'm really going to vibe with them. They're going to end up unhappy. The hardest part about being hired to work on music. I do too. For sure. I do too. Because if if I get stuff where I'm doing vocal session work for a band that I just really don't enjoy their music, it will take me forever to finish it. Like I'll procrastinate (laughs) until forever because i i find it so hard to like peel myself off the ground and like work on music that i just don't right. really like yep. it's hard to get through and that's like the struggle of taking something that you're really passionate about and making it something that you get paid for yeah but right, I've always thought, I mean, yeah I've, th- I've thought you've done i don't know just like an amazing job with it because you just never stopped and we met you so long ago so i don't know i've always thought that's pretty cool that you kept going with one thing stuck no yeah out. i've been doing what i'm doing since four years before we met yeah roughly you know and it's 
I, I, the only thing I miss and like that I would, you know, maybe someday get back to if I suddenly didn't need to work for whatever reason, like, you know, just come upon some giant cash cow of some sort. Yeah. I might go back to actually like, you know, self-producing myself. Cause I haven't done that in like 20 plus years where I've actually written in any substantive way. And I just can't right now. Like anytime I try, it's just like, a disaster. Well, do you think it's like, do you find that happen. it's kind of hard because if you work on music all day at yeah. night, you don't want to because that's how no, I that's thought. not happening. It's like the only way it would happen is if I had like a yeah. hard stop break in what I'm doing and all of a sudden my creative because you're what people are actually paying me for at this point. I mean, what people are paying me for, it's not just like to be some like engineer. They're you know, like I'm adding creativity to projects I'm working on. Even if I'm mastering, I feel like I am like using my, you know, whatever you call it, my stock of like everything I have in my head in terms of audio to work on something. And sometimes I like just dig into things and go crazy. And like, I look back on projects I've done that I'm like, ah, that is, Nobody knows how incredible this one thing I did is, but they have no idea because they didn't need to know. It just sounded good in the end. Yeah. Totally. Problem solving is like my favorite thing to do. I'm a problem solver. Yep. You're We're really aware. good at that too, because you and Naveen have this in common where if something very minuscule goes wrong, you will, it'll seem like the biggest problem in the entire world. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed you do this, but 30 seconds or a minute later, you always have it solved. It's always like, like anytime you've said that, I've never been afraid that it was going to prevent right. the thing from moving forward because you're so you good. Be. Outside of me saying, oh my God, the hard drive's making a clicking sound. Like <laughs> you should not be too worried. Yeah, I don't think so. And Naveen does that too, because you know, you're, you've worked with Naveen enough. You kind of know Naveen's how he works. works. Yeah, Naveen. Naveen's actually, Naveen said the most clever thing anybody, when we did a, Shit, what's the most recent record? It's not Dark Infinite Future. Nothing. It's a Yeah, Dark Future. When we did Dark Future, Naveen said the coolest thing he's ever said to me, which is, you told me, and it was in, in this particular instance, it was in regard to using the all natural drum tones on the album, which we uh-huh. did. We ended up doing it. But you right. said, you said to me, hey, whatever you do in the future, future Naveen is going to try to tell you uh, yeah, to... Yeah sample replace all of this and like completely change it. And you need to remind me that I'd said that future Naveen is going to say this, Yep. but present Naveen's right, that this is the right way to go on this. Yeah. And we should not change our mind because we get some like weird, like thought in our head that it's all wrong. Yeah. yeah. That's the problem with, with the various that self-awareness level was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But on a, that's one of my favorite parts of working with you is that I do find like, I think that for another engineer who may not be hip to the Naveen thing, <laughs> it may be hard for them to work with him just yeah. because, no, absolutely. just because, you know, you know how he is in the studio. Like it's very, it's, it's almost like a quick tempered thing, but you really know how to uh, work with that. You know how to work with Naveen very well. And, and that's why I, yeah. We go to you for drums because you're so fucking good at doing that. I mean, yeah. aside from liking the way that you make our stuff sound, you you're really good at working with Naveen and like problem solving. Really, it's uh, the problem. I was problem already thinking solving. of that today. Where I was like, we're kind of working on another <laughs> track, and I was like, man, it's cool having this set up here, but I just wish I was going to Zach to do this. Yeah, like 
Oh, you mean like recording the drums right yeah. now? Yeah. Like, well, I haven't recorded. I noticed you upgraded like your drum recording to like per, like you got a more legit like room to record in and that kind of stuff. Somewhat, yeah. I mean, more legit for you know me. It's not, not never going to be just actually legit, but yeah. it's cool because mm-hmm. that um, flexibility we can do it anytime. But there is something to just you know not only working with you, but just like setting aside time and being like. We're going to the studio to get it done rather than like that's a thing it's, it's a here, real it's like, big thing i'm like well i could just do it tomorrow and i'm like i could just do it tomorrow like whatever you know but when you like book the day with someone you can actually get it done for sure and so. even works for me for my like you know yeah. if i was like tracking drums for my own project i i actually look back really fondly on like the drums i did on the last record i ever played drums on. i stopped playing drums in 2008 so that's not a thing i do anymore but <laughs> back when i was tracking drums for that band like I had to like really carefully schedule. I couldn't afford to like just set aside time to do it in the studio. I didn't have like an apartment rig where I could do that. So I was doing it in the middle of the night and like just setting it aside, making sure I was ready for it. It was like that probably made everything so much better because I had all the fills planned out. I had everything really set to go. Exactly. And a lot of bands need pressure and a lot of bands need not pressure. I've been letting a lot of groups I work with, like they are super comfortable with it, like record their own guitar and bass DIs at home. There's no quality difference. If I'm going to reamp it, the question is, are they the kind of guy who needs my guidance to like get, make sure they're in tune, make sure they get the best takes, make sure they edit everything right. Or are they the kind of guy that just needs time and like chilling out is this something that you've learned over time that you that you oh, yeah. have to learn to work with different personalities like cons- constantly like everyone's coming at you differently? Well, you say over time like that is eighty percent of my job. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've said this before on podcasts. Like it's like no, that is the job. The job is learning how quickly can you assess the people you're working with. I'd say the second record I do with bands tends tends to be like the best record we ever end up doing. If I ever, when I work with groups, like for whatever reason, that's in the sweet spot where I already know all the personalities. Nobody's sick of each other yet. And everything's just this creative flow. The first record sometimes can be fun too. Cause like you will, you gotta be able, ready to adapt to every different personality type and every different and figure out real quickly. Like you got to figure out in like matter of hours, sometimes like how you're going to work with, this group and with these people and who's got the strengths, who's got the weaknesses, like just from a playing standpoint. And you got to like, no, who needs my help? Who needs to be left alone? Who needs to be challenged? Cause that's another personality type. You got to never forget. There's the, also the personality type that's like, they only work off challenge. Like you, they're usually, and I find those to be like a large part of like the elite musician group are like, they need like constant, challenge if you're not challenging they're not engaging they're not playing everything like with their passion that they need so what what's an example of like challenging a person in that case i don't know like make like actually i mean i'm very dry with people and i don't even know it like i always have been i've actually gotten better about this but like you know i got this reputation as being like a blunt asshole to like bands i'm meeting because i would just tell people like no that's that's garbage. You could do it better. Yeah, and I, I, just I, say things like yeah. this to people. Yeah, you, and I never thought of it as weird. It's how I was like straight from when I was like starting to work with bands. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I think about it like when I was 16 and 17, I was recording these bands that I had no experience 
with what they're doing and like they respected that and like there'll be times where I'll get in a room with people that I probably have no business talking like that in front of but because they've hired me like I just go into my work mode and I'll just say things all bluntly yeah and 90% of people I feel like actually really respond to that well like they yeah. don't hear me ever insult I'm just being like oh come on that's dog shit <laughs> you know well it's like when you get like, into music when production, you're about, you can be you're not thinking of it that way it's like we're just trying no. to work and make something together it's not, i'm not if i'm saying your take was dog shit i'm not saying you're a dog shit as a player it's just like that take was dog shit we're doing it again you know I'd, i yeah, say the same things to, to myself when i'm sitting there tracking guitar i'm like ah oh, bullshit that sucked you know and it's not it's just a yeah. means to an end so i, I think a lot of engineers kind of get that um sort of myth around them that they're like so strict or whatever you well know? no there's different types though there's like i know for example <laughs> who's like i gotta remember the name of this producer he did like every corn album and did all rick, like the rick uh reuben or rick no not rick reuben uh, shit i know I what you're talking you about name. he did slipknot like the first he, slipknot definitely here hold on i'm, like, I'm gonna look him up i know who i'm talking about yeah, uh it's, i don't know uh, God damn it. Someone is listening to this and screaming. It's a huge producer. I've, I've met him. He's really an interesting guy. Uh, Just not interesting enough for me to remember no, 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 his name. I remember his fucking name. It's well, that's be, how I am. It's going to be pathetic. I'm really bad at this. You're going to laugh when I tell you the name. You're like, oh, that guy, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, Ross Robinson. Ross Robinson. Boom. I was, See, I was, say, I was Robinson. so close. Yeah. I was so close. So, I mean, I Ray heard Caruban. stories. <laughs> yep, that's who I'm... It's like Ross Robinson, he will do things to like he will intentionally anger people who are like in the vocal booth like cut at their soul deep or and or just like literally physically rough them up a little bit like just just to fucking get singers in the mood to be, give like really really like angst level performance just i'm being specific with singers but like you know and i heard him talk about it i've heard them talk about it i've heard people that have worked with them talk about it and like that's like some next level, like weird yeah. life coaching stuff that like he does on in his own way. And I'm doing my stuff. My way of doing things is just very different. And I don't think about it. And like, yeah, yeah. so you guys are talking about it and I hear people talk about, it, but like, I, I'm not thinking when I'm doing it. It's, it's, it's not, it's intentional, but it's not intentional. You're just serving the butter, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. And every once in a while it gets me in trouble. Cause like, you're going to meet people that aren't that personality type, the people that need to be a little, you know, coddled. They count too. There's that some of them are just as talented as people that like want to rise up to some challenge, you know, like it's all person to person. Like you said, you got to figure it out real fast. If you're recording a band that wants to get in and out of the studio in two days and have an album done. Right. So. <laughs> totally. So at the beginning, what was it? that inspired you to get into being an engineer as opposed to just staying a musician? Well, uh, I was one before the other, almost, honestly. I mean, I was engineering stuff when I was like 12 years old. Like I got really into the computer music stuff I did. And like, so I'm an engineer first. You did, almost. You like, did, uh... I was really bad at guitar when I started like, doing all this stuff and I can even hear it in some of my really, really old tracks. I did though. It's like, I barely really understood how to play guitar. And like, I was like recording little guitar parts. If I didn't have the computer aiding me, 
like, and I'm talking like it's 1995 and I'm doing this in like all DOS stuff. So it's like, there was a lot that I needed to like do with the computers to really when get you were 12? what was in my head. When you What's were, tw- when you were 12. Yeah. Wow. That's when I jumped on that. I mean, I have things I found on the internet of me from like 1993. So I'm 12 in 1993. Whoa. So I would say that's the earliest things that I was just, and when I was saying the internet, most of it wasn't the internet. It was like literal call up bulletin board service. So I was more of a nerd than I was like a good musician back then. So, and that's because you did. I think uh, the question you're asking though is what got me into engineering. Yeah, like, yeah. I well, mean, what, I, what inspired that? I mean, I know that your last name means ear in German. <laughs> so that I know my family musician. My brother's a classical guitarist by trade, like his whole life and. My parents were both pretty musical. My mom still sings in choir and like, but so I had a musical upbringing for sure. So it wasn't like just out of the blue, but I mean, it was the nerdy stuff. It was me getting into computers really. It was me getting into all the sequencing software at a really young age and then getting hired to do those two Nintendo 64 games when I was like 15 and 16 years old. That was just this big, like, monolithic thing to me because like i was like i can engineer and make money for a living and i got paid like compared to even what i get paid now i got paid real well to do those two projects and how did you that was go ahead how did how did you even get hired to do that when you were 15 the i got three word answer for you america online (laughs) literally he was like they had their guy scouting out like all the people that were putting out all these free things which were called mods, but that makes no sense to you now. But like basically just putting up my tracks on the internet, like someone would do on Bandcamp now. They were looking for someone that could do a good job doing Primus songs. And lucky for me, like my favorite album at the time was Sailing the Seas of Cheese. And like I was learning all the bass and guitar and drum stuff from it anyway. And I had put up like a cover song of a Primus song. So they picked me as one of like the 10 artists they tried out for this thing. And they're like, make a song for this game. We need like Primus sounding stuff for a snowboarding game. I was what like, what okay. game is it? Twisted Edge Snowboarding. Damn. I just played it the other day. I finally got a functional emulator that actually had the music corrected it and like everything working. Nintendo 64 is nice. a tricky machine when it comes to that. But uh, yeah, that game and that game's just it. When you think about what it caused me to, I bought some more like microphones and act like an actual little Mackie mixer along with a car from like the first like games money when I got it. So like it was super liberating. Also, then I started engineering like all the local bands like in my high school and then from high school to like a music scene after high school. That's sort of when I was in college for like a year and then I just gave up. That's when I was like, no, I'm. I'm doing this like bands are calling me to record. I'm going to keep doing this. And then I started actually taking it seriously by like year 2000 decided I wasn't going to like finish some computer science degree at the local college or anything like that. Cause I mean, that was definitely the path I was going to go otherwise, but I'm miserable. I don't really enjoy doing something like coding. It's not my yeah. thing. Like to like get into like, I maybe it would have been, but you know, so music engineering is the only job you've had. Yeah. Well, that's not completely true. I mean, I had jobs when I was like 18 and 19, but pretty much since I'm 20. Yeah. Like I, I got one job at a temp agency once by cheating on their test. That was amazing for like 
a month or two until I finally got put in a position where it was like they actually expected me to know all the stuff I had cheated on the test before. And it was like super important. It was like I was supposed to develop curriculum for the Hayward School District. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went to that job and it was like a complete nightmare from day one. Like it was like so above my head. And I just like, oh, yep, doing my stuff. Like I'm like look, looking at this stuff for me. It's like I can maybe do half of what they're asking me to do. And it's like super independent because they're expecting me to be like, oh, this guy, he tested off the charts. So <laughs> it, it fucked yeah. me up pretty bad, that that job. But the two jobs I got prior from that temp agency were amazing. They were called Office Team, and they were like they were like a step up from like other temp agencies in terms of pay because it was a good pay. It was like $15 an hour to $20 an hour for temp jobs, you know, in 2000, which was pretty good yeah. at the time for yeah. zero experience, zero college kind of thing yeah that's the last real person job i had where i like showed up with like a collared shirt for my interview kind of thing wow crazy do you think that you're gonna be uh doing what you do now until you die or will you retire i think that is 100 percent been determined (laughs) yes Yes. i mean can you i mean when you say doing that i mean sure i might like start playing i'm in a group or doing something or who knows whatever but i'm not going to become like you know, I'm not going to just suddenly get some white collar job or something or yeah. like start gardening for a living. Who knows? Maybe not. Maybe I'll do something fun. But no, it's a good chance I'm like mastering audio when I'm 70. That's yeah. I see that as the eventual like if I am like just don't have it in me anymore, like physically, like the demand to like. I probably will keep working to some extent till I'm dead yes if that's what you're asking that is what I'm asking because I feel the same yeah it's a real possibility yeah do you feel like you're losing any of your hearing well literally everybody loses their hearing I've been pretty careful about it I mean at least since I was really like when I was like 16 I would sit and play drums in a small room with no earplugs in but i mean honestly since i was like maybe 17 i recognize i'm like i need to protect my ears to some extent i'd say the worst thing i do is wear these things yeah and yeah. work out like for an hour every day recently especially in this quarantine i've been going crazy been running like five to seven miles a day and like just when i'm doing that i'm like i i need that music blaring pretty loud in these things and like i just love listening to that's when i'm listening to metal for the most part i don't listen to metal any other time except when i'm working out Oh, it's a and great from, workout tool. Yeah. Metal is great for working out. It's almost all also, I'm multitasking when I'm working out. That's when I'm like, I'll be listening to mixes critically like all the time while I'm doing that way more than I will in a studio. That's when I can really focus on just like, what does this sound like through like, you know, one of the most common consumer headphones that exists. Right, right. Like that's what I want to hear this just as much as I want to hear it in a car or hear it in like, fancy studio monitors in a equalized room you know yeah right. it all has to be good or it's all worthless totally really? is there anything that you've done that's your favorite thing you've done or that you're the most proud of or is it just <laughs> existing on a linear that never is the best never is the worst it's just moving on no there's definitely standout things but the question's kind of a pick your favorite child question yeah so i'm like trying to uh, i don't know let me think about this I, that's a really hard question because like there's so many different kinds of special things. Like I could say twisted edge snowboarding to answer your question. Cause it's like, yeah, that's so a epic. big deal yeah. record to me. I could say 
I could say shut it down, for example, because like that was like the last like thing that was like before I just jumped into this being like a full blown I'm a studio owner thing. And then I could say something like Circle the Drain that we just did that's like, you know, probably the top song I've ever put out. Like that song is getting massive play at this point. Damn. Or I could say like one of the bands that got the most popular off a recording or something. Cause I'm still I, like, that's the, sometimes that warms my heart more than something I even do. It's like, did I help set a band on their path to greatness in one way or another? That, that feels good too. Cause there's like, you know, dozens of examples I can think of of that. And there's also dozens of bands I've done records with that I thought were like super special records that nobody's ever heard. And like, they just disappeared from existence. What are a couple of those? A couple of those records nobody's ever heard. Nobody's ever heard heard one of my best deathcore records, a house of Atreus record. That was a really good record. Uh, Nobody ever, not enough people heard the apiary record, which was like the band that kind of formed after clearing autumn skies. That that's like a really good record. Uh, there's a, I just noticed this other the, the other day there was this really good uh, uh I don't want to say pop punk or hardcore so like pop punk hardcore ish band called Young Generals that like literally the band broke up bef- I think after the record was completed it was like on a label and everything and like just never heard I did a whole Alstra Paris record that nobody's ever heard back in 2014 wow. there's a two totally finished Alstra Paris record that nobody's ever heard and nobody yeah. ever can hear. So you don't think anyone will ever hear that record? I'm sure it's been played like by them to their buddies. And like outside of that, there's legal reasons why it can't be heard. So like if it, if it got like leaked on the internet or somebody got the files, it would be a real problem. So I, I've been pretty careful about it. I'm not like trying to like play it to people, but people should know it exists because they literally put up a banner for it for like two days before that whole situation went to hell. Oh, wow. Man, that's so yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. I don't know. You're t- yeah, trying, trying to pick a favorite record. Yeah. Impossible. It's hard. Honestly, I was, uh, yeah, like my favorite production I've been a part of, yeah. like might be the Sworn Enemy record I did a couple of years ago, I guess. Yeah, it was two years ago at this point. That record from start to finish, every step of the way, we made really good decisions. And it wasn't like it comes off effortlessly and people have really received it really well. It was like kind of a comeback record for them. I love every bit of the engineering I did. I'll listen to that record right now. I'm like, it's flawless. I don't want to change anything. And you know this about uh, this. I'm sure Naveen doesn't feel this way about anything he's ever done. Probably and I don't either really like I'll hear anything. I'll, I'll be able to pick something I wish I had changed or done different. Like even on the records I've done that have been super successful. I'm like, no, that, that, fucking snare tone is garbage like you you brought that light the city record i still hate the snare tone and love everything else about that record Man, like, I, and i hate the snare tone I'm like what was i doing this snare, the snare is like 10 times louder than everything else on the whole record like something like that <laughs> bugs me but so i have no qualms with that there was like issues with like we came in like we weren't happy with vocals and we like we had the smarts to be like no we're gonna fly you back out two months later from new york redo some vocals because this like these these few songs they've got potential we got to like fix them and get it so it actually works and get like the sickest guitar solos on this and then we did that and the records just like i think it for what for that genre it's like perfect start to finish record because of all the little production decisions we made and all also the 
band on to their credit, like working through some like problems as we went through it. It's so rare that you have a record that has problems that like ends up coming out perfect. And that's what happened there in my opinion. Yeah. So speaking of like having to fly someone back out and how we were kind of touching on this earlier that when you go and change something, it can completely change the outcome of a record. Is there any record that comes to mind to you that had you not changed something at the last minute, it just wouldn't have ended up the same way that it did? Oh, probably a bunch of them. Well, I can think of the album. I want to say it's Portals by Arsonist Get All the Girls, where I think the record was completely done with one set of vocals, and then we completely re-recorded all the vocals with their new singer. And that comes to mind pretty quickly, because I actually, it was like one of my favorite ones, and the the new singer came in, and like, it was not just like, you know, a new singer singing the same lyrics. It's like all those songs have two versions somewhere in my hard drive somewhere with totally different lyrics, totally different songs. So that's a good example of that. Uh, I don't know where one thing changed. Or just like where you had to, where at the last minute you just got this feeling like we can't put this out sounding like it does or with that part written like it was and you had to change it at the last minute. I, <laughs> I mean, the, the sworn enemy thing I just brought up is one yeah. that happens a lot. I'm almost always the guy who's like, quit fucking with your song. Stop changing it like a million different ways. It was probably how you want it. We came in, but I mean, honestly, that's happened the most with machine head. Cause what we've been doing is like, I'm the demos become the album. And Naveen's been in the studio and seen this part. It's like he, at, at any given moment, we can suddenly be like, look, song's done. Cause like there, there's songs that have like lyrics all the way through. It's like, are these good yet? Is the chorus catching enough? Let's and like that song that Naveen's on, like that had a totally. It was called "Hurts When I Pee" for a long time because the original chorus to the song was so they're like, "Tell me now why it hurts when I pee." It's like and it had like the initial melody, but like the lyrics, the whole subject of the song changed. The whole like feel of the song changed since when we first recorded it like the, so that stuff changes much more than any other band i work with because most bands i'm working with are like going to be like you know we're booking five days and we've rehearsed these songs and we know roughly what we want totally but like last minute changes that totally change songs all the time yeah i, I don't know if it's always for the better sometimes for the better sometimes for the worse. i'm really scratching my brain to like try to figure out one really good example from the past of this it is sort of fascinating how often it happens though I'll say this. Okay, here's the thing that comes to my mind. Uh, that All Shall Perish song, Wage Slaves. I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. we added that cowbell at the very last minute. That's so kind that's... of insane because that song would not have been the song that it is right. without that cowbell part. <laughs> I mean, that's what people know about that song. It just right when you said it, I was like, oh, the song was I hope I'm cowbell. remembering that correctly. I think that's what happened with that, though. And, like, there's been a lot of stuff over the years like that that were, like, you know, some major element to the song is at last second i mean when we did dark future for example i didn't hear the vocals till very late in the game like the record oh, yeah, was yeah. very close to done by the time i'm hearing vocals and that's a weird way to produce sometimes yeah you know yeah. like you're like yeah i you know we had finished all the guitar reamps and we had done all that kind of stuff before like vocals started like appearing on it so like when that happens that's interesting because some 
there's always the matter of opinion. Some people think we need to be like basing the whole songs around the vocals. Yeah, I and mean, that's people. sort of what we've moved more towards. Like I feel when I listen to Dark Future, you can I can hear what you're talking about. I can hear that vocals came in last where it's like, damn, that vocal part's really cool, but there's like all these other layers going on now. We should we should have stripped some of it away, in my opinion. One song that I think the one song that I really think it worked on was Black Static, that the vocals yeah. came in later Ooh. because that song's so laid out in like a verse chorus verse uh layout that it just worked really well for vocals but a lot of our other stuff it doesn't have the the openness of that particular song and it's harder to come in at the last moment and do vocals that way so yeah like naveen said that's something that we're actually trying to change so it's funny that you say that because we uh, it is sort of weird some of the vocals seem a little out of place in my opinion just because of the way that they were written there's just too many things going on I yeah think. yeah i think there could just be a little you also bit just maybe remember another band that even more of a break i had that band necrogoblicon when i oh, did yeah. that record that record that was maybe you know and this is a good thing this is a huge compliment to them there's been a few times like you know when i'm doing some project like that where i had heard those songs for like a year and a half almost with no vocals and just some basic guitars on them because they finished like all the drums and some basic guitars and then they went home and they were like, well, we're going to record all the vocals back where they live. And they did all that stuff. So a year and a half later, I just start getting sent the tracks to actually like do all the stuff and I get the guitars and bass first. And it's still, it sounds like how I remember it sounding, you know, it's this pretty, you know, relatively eclectic, metal records you know like kind of metal i don't know what to describe them musically as before there's vocals or keyboards but mm-hmm. point is it's a pretty normal thing and then i get those fucking keyboards and the vocals to that record and that record is straight up ridiculous but lyrically vocally and uh, not and all like the electronic stuff to it like all the keyboards and stuff are just wacky mm-hmm. like all over the place there's like techno breakdowns that they insert it into songs. I was like, oh, that's what that giant break was in this part. Is they were going to do like a straight techno part, like out of nowhere. And I just I'm like, this isn't what I've been working on the whole time. This is like a whole <laughs> different genre of music. Like there's yeah, a song yeah. where he sings the whole song is from the perspective of like a falcon. Like, it, like that, that, that song, that whole record is just high concept. And like, I had no idea how high concept it was. I just thought he sang like a goblin when he sings. And that was like about right. oh, yeah, like no. the extent of it. But that was like, it was so over the top that must amazing. Been a cool, and cool I surprise. Love it. Yeah, that must have been a really cool surprise. Yeah. No, that was great. And I, I was like, that, so that was last second though. I got the vocals like, you know, pretty late in the game. Like it was almost done with the record by the time I gained the vocals. And it's oh. like kind of a huge part of it. Definitely a huge part of it. I love Necrogoblicon. We went on tour with them last year and mm-hmm. they had just put out their latest record and we were jamming it on the way home. And they're a, they're a really good band. Really yeah. good. It's insane. But yeah, yeah those vocals was, are pretty funny. I, it's funny. I haven't seen any of those guys since the drum tracking session too. Cause like we finished the album by proxy like years later. And then they've done like, like you said, like four more records, I think, since then. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. That you know, that's just a good example of something that's like, you know, total change with one thing. And I feel like that happens sometimes with bands where they'll come to me and be like, oh, we added keyboards to every song. And it's like suddenly a whole different album. Yeah. Mm, I get it. I yeah. Get it. 
Me too. All right. Well, I got, we're at an hour 50. It's been a pleasure talking <laughs> to you, man. I'm sure we'll do this again because we have a lot to talk about. But yeah, we're going to close yeah, it sure. out. Copper Crab Podcast. Yeah, have a good week, you guys. Me. Thanks for coming yeah, by, Zach. Zach Oren. I'll talk to you soon about maybe doing mixing a new track. <laughs> yeah, looks like we're working together. <laughs> yeah. All right, bro. <laughs> Later.